Welcome to another episode of Fresh from the Hill, inside stories of noteworthy Cornellians. We are here today with Andrea Savage, class of 94. Thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to have you on our podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, Thank you for asking me. Yes. So you are doing all the things. You're out in LA, right? (laughs) I am in LA, yeah. I'm born and raised in LA, so I'm from LA. Uh, And I I also live in L.A. Excellent. Um, And so you are the producer of the TV show, I'm Sorry, correct? Yes. uh, I'm the creator and one of the producers. um, And uh, yes, and I'm currently, uh, right after this, I'm at my office. I'm in the middle of writing season three. Excellent. And that's coming out in 2020, right? In 2020. I don't have a date yet. We we finish writing. We'll start shooting. early next year and then uh and then i start editing after that and and then it will yeah it'll be on sometime next year well i'm eagerly anticipating that um and then you also started your own podcast recently right i did i started my own podcast it's called andrea savage a grown-up woman hashtag buttholes and um yes i started it it came at started in october and um it's been super fun. So I did get a chance to le- uh, listen to your most recent episode, um, and it was simultaneously fantastic and hilarious and also very delightful. Um, oh, thank you. And I just, I love everything about it. Um, so everyone should definitely go check that out and subscribe to our podcast and listen to every single episode because it's amazing. Um, Thank you. It's um, it's basically it's a you know it's a there's a lot of celebrity chat shows, but I get like all people that are my friends, and I've had Mila Kunis and John Hamm, and then I think probably the one you're referring to is June Squibb, who just yes. turned ninety. Yes. Um, and I've got um, I've Paul Rudd's coming up, and um, oh my God, I'm blanking on all- Allison Brie was just on, and Mike Shinoda, and Mike Shinoda, and. Yeah, I've got fantastic people coming up, and we just sort of laugh and and play silly games and talk. Of, I don't know, just kind of enjoy enjoy ourselves for an hour to escape some of the rest of the world. Well, I love it. It's very entertaining. Um, so I wanted to chat a little bit about um, your time at Cornell and maybe how it helped get you to where you are or anything notable that you remember from your time here at Cornell. Uh, so if you could talk about that, that would be great. Um, well, I was a Cornell from 1990 to 1994, um, and I was a government major with a minor in law. I guess, it, it, I feel like it was called like a, um, wasn't called minors, it was called like a, what do you guys call it? It was called a um, concentration, no, it was yes. called concentration. I think it was a concentration. Was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What year were you? Um, 2014. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> So I'm 20 years older than you. Yes. Um, And yeah, I mean, I did theater while I was there, um, but I didn't major in it. So I was very active in the theater department, was in a lot of productions, but, you know, I came from a very academic background and really growing up in LA from an academic background was like, I will never become an actor. I will never go to Hollywood. That could not be the furthest. I mean, it just seemed very lame, very irresponsible, this, that, and the other. And I remember um, my junior year, I did study abroad. I did study abroad in Spain. 
in a Spain. It was a Cornell, Michigan program in Sevilla. And um, that's when I really was like, oh, I think I, I think I have to give it a shot. It's in my, you know, it's in my body. I'm going to give it a shot. And I remember my senior year coming back and talking to my like advisor, you know, that you have in your department and telling this woman that I was going to um, be an actor. And I just remember like, just sort of a, a dead eyes came <laughs> upon her. And there was just sort of an odd silence for a couple beats. And then she was like, okay, well, well then after that, do you think you might apply to blah, 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 blah. It was literally like as if I had, it, she couldn't even comprehend what I was saying, which <laughs> I understand. Um, so, uh, you know, other than being in the theater department there, um, you know, I didn't obviously go into law and mm -hmm. or business, which was sort of my plan. Um, but I absolutely adored Cornell. I, I love Cornell. I had a fantastic four years there. Um, That's I just, amazing. I loved it. Yeah. So what about being in Spain made you realize that you wanted to go into acting? Well, I had been doing theaters, junior high, high school, and through college. I think it was just, it gave me the space away from like my academic, academic, like sort of rigor mm -hmm. that had been going on for so long to give me the space and to get away from, you know, some realities and family and school to sort of listen to that little voice inside you um, that's talking that you sort of push down and ignore when you're surrounded in your usual space. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of, you know, being out in a different world and having different experiences and relaxing a little bit to be able to even listen to the little voice. Yeah. So then you graduated from Cornell and you uh -huh. started your acting career. What what happened? Um, oh, my God. Um, I Yeah, I graduated and I wanted to move to New York City. And I went and stayed with some friends for a couple months and had a couple meetings, random places. Um, and everyone that I met with was like, wait, you're from L.A.? And I was like, yeah, they're like, everyone here is trying to get there. So go home. <laughs> So I went home, I moved, I moved back in and I really started from the bottom. Like I did blind mailers. I did, um, there were these things called Backstage West and some other things where you could um, submit yourself for small independent films or student films. And I did that and I got a couple like USC student films. And then I did a blind com commercial mailing, which is my headshot and got a commercial agent, started booking commercials and, um, I got on a kid's show called Sweet Valley High, and that was sort of my first big show, and I played- You were Renata? I was Renata Vargas, yes. the Brazilian exchange student, <laughs> um, and I wore fruit on my head. They basically took every stereotype of every, well, Portuguese, obviously, because Brazil, um, Portuguese and Hispanic and Spanish and Central American stereotype and put it all into one character who wore fruit on her head, but also talked about like the Amazon rainforest, but also like tacos yeah. and also like to like flamenco dance. It was, it was um, pretty crazy, but I so loved it. Was that the role where you're like, okay, like I am doing this, this is happening. Yeah, yeah, it was. And then, uh, and then I did that for a year and then the show ended and then um, the reality of the industry really hits you. 
of, oh, you think you're like, okay, I'm on my way. And then the industry is like, no, you're not. Um, and so I actually, you know, went back to waitressing and, um, you know, would get, I started getting jobs here and there um, on TV and that kind of thing. And then I joined a company called the Groundlings and the school Groundlings. And it's sort of a sketch improv comedy theater, which is a little bit of like a feeder to SNL, like Will Ferrell's from there and mm -hmm. Maya Rudolph's from there and Chris Kattan and Sherry Terry and Kristen Wiig. And, you know, so it's like a, it's one of the big ones and you audition in and then you have to go through the school. And that's what I kind of did for the next four years, like pretty hardcore. So did you know you wanted to there. do comedy? Um, I started transitioning into comedy when um, I actually took an acting class and I met Chris Parnell who's from, Ground, uh, from Groundlings and also from SNL and millions of other fantastic things. And he was like, you should audition for the Groundlings. That's the company that I'm in. So I didn't really know what it was. And then once I started there, I was like, yes, this is my people. Like I always played sort of the comedic relief characters mm -hmm. and I started in like musical comedy. So it just felt right. And then from then on, it's pretty much what I've done. Who have been like the most influential people to you in your comedy career? Like people you look up to or anything like that? Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus for sure. Um, and then, you know, some people who forged the path ahead like a Betty White mm -hmm. and uh, Joan Rivers and people like that. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Larry David, um, you know, uh, and I've been lucky enough to and I was going to say Will Ferrell and Judd Apatow. And it's crazy. I've been lucky enough to work with every single one of those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you were on um, Veep as Laura Montez, I was on right? Veep. I play the president, yes. yeah, Laura Montez. Um, yeah, which was absolute dream come true. Ridiculously fun. Um, and then I did, I've done Curb Your Enthusiasm mm -hmm. with Larry. And I've done a bunch of stuff with Will Ferrell. And um, I've been, done a bunch of stuff with Judd Apatow. So I've, I've been very lucky that I've actually gotten to work with a lot of people that I admire and I look up to. And your show, um, I'm sorry, it reminds me a little bit of Curb Your Enthusiasm with like less of the like cringy, you know, where you're yeah. like, oh gosh, don't do it. <laughs> um, yes. It's like situational. I, I, it is situational. It, I, it does get compared to Curb quite a bit. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, the kind of show that I'm Sorry is or Curb is or Louie or Better Things or even Girls or any of those single point of view shows, mm -hmm. really the log line or, you know, when you have that one line description of what a, a show is, they're all basically the same. It's just like mine is, you know, a comedy writer, mom and wife navigates through life and that's basically plug in whatever the circumstances mm -hmm. and all of those shows are exactly the same um and all it is is the point of view of the main character and and how they look at the world and handle situations so they do all have a somewhat similarity might some might just be darker some might mm -hmm. be broader some might be more fantastical you know larry's more cringy um <laughs> i have a more positive point of view with my yeah. comedy so it's it's a little more positive but it's definitely dirt you know it's dirtier mm -hmm. i think and edgier um but they're all kind of the same show and, and that those are the kinds of shows i actually really like to watch um, oh yeah my favorite you know it. but it's all kind of just the nuance of taking the point of view of the character and they often are based on real stand-up or you know 
really almost autobiographical in many ways, and then it, it goes from there. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the most difficult part about comedy, like writing comedy, doing comedy? Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's any more difficult than anything else that Mm -hmm. you would do in the industry if it's something that naturally comes to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say one difficulty is often you don't get to like, and it sounds super nerdy, but shepherd a joke from beginning to end and that can be frustrating. Right now on my show, I do get to, but often if you're writing comedy, you don't get to be there on set when it's performed, you Mm. don't get to direct it and then you don't get to edit it. Or someone else wrote a joke that you wish it was a little different. And jokes really have beginning, middle, and ends in terms of their like process, in terms of it, the writing, the performance, and then the edit. And when there's too many people involved in that one joke's journey, a lot can get lost in the translation. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating when that can happen to you. And you're like, oh, that's really, they didn't understand what that was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so that can be hard because it really um, jokes usually are more nuanced than people think they are. Mm-hmm. I think it seems as though, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? That oh, I will. <laughs> you're I like will. most definitely. I will attack. <laughs> um, that a lot of people think like it's just a natural thing to be funny, and there's like not a lot of work behind it. It's like oh, well, you're just a funny person, right? And like right. that's how it is. And it seems like there is a lot of like time and effort. And I think your show does show that a lot, right? Like you go and you like sit right with your partner and things like that. But I think the perception typically in public is that like, oh, well, this person's just funny. It's like easy for them. Yeah. Comedy does give that impression of when it's done well, it makes, it, comedy done well appears to be effortless, mm-hmm. but the amount of work that is going on behind the scenes to make it appear effortless is so intense. I mean, from a stand-up to anything, it's the reason it takes people, you know, you know, a year to prepare mm-hmm. a 20-minute comedy set. It, it is so nuanced, and the amount of time that goes into our scripts to make, and people will be like, oh, your scripts seem improvised. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. It, like, that's because we work so hard to make it not feel stilted or scripted, mm-hmm. and we do it in a style that makes it feel off the cuff but it's completely scripted. Every word has been nuanced and, and, you know, modified and thought about. But when it's done well, it appears effortless, you know, and that's the great part of it. But it, yeah. it comedy takes, I would say, more work than drama, to be honest, um, in terms of writing it and keeping quality up. Mm-hmm. Drama can be difficult, but you can rely on emotion. You can rely on other natural human instincts that will allow you a little bit of room for error where people are with you and comedy it's like people are expecting to laugh yeah um so it makes it a little well and it's like you want to come there if you're doing stand-up it seems like you want them to believe this is the first time that you've said this and that they're they're like they're the first people who's hearing this when it sounds like in reality it's something you've been like workshopping for a year and it's like okay is this gonna stick (laughs) especially if you think about like stand-ups that you love like their first couple tours and first couple comedy specials those jokes have been being honed often for a decade Mm mm-hmm 
I mean, that's really what it is. They've been, you know, say they're 30, they've been doing some of those jokes since they were 20 oh, wow. and perfecting their voice and perfecting their point of view. Um, you know, it's like a, it's like an album, like, you know, a, a band's like first album they've been working on their whole life. And then people are like, now do it again in a year. And it's like, oh my God. And that's why, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, the second album is the hardest thing ever. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like there was a certain point in your career where you felt like you really found your voice? Or did it just like happen like a natural progression? I think progression? so, yeah. I think um, it was after Growlings, I started doing stand-up and um, it was when I started doing stand-up that I feel like I really started to find my comedic persona voice. Um, so yeah, I mean, it definitely took a it, it took a, a bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so in thinking about when you were starting the show, I'm sorry, was it something that was like an aha like moment, like I'm going to do this TV show, or was it something that was like kind of grounding in there for a while and you were feeling it out? How did that work? Um, well, um, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I think was my seventh show that I'd sold. So I had been, uh, every year selling TV shows to different networks and developing them. And, you know, a lot of them, everyone really liked and, and for lots of reasons, you know, it's the way the business is, they didn't go. So, you know, I'd been doing this for a while and I'm sorry was, um, another idea in that world, but it was one that I, instead of developing a script with a network um, and going down that process, I decided to shoot something independently, 14 minutes worth, to show exactly what the tone was and exactly what I was looking to do. And um, so I went about it a slightly different way. And, you know, I think the timing was just right and it just, it happened to go and it, it hit at the right time. But um, so I, I you know, it's just, uh, there's a, I was sorry, I was a very successful failure for many years behind the scenes. So, um, you know, it was a process. Yeah. And all the shows were different. So this one mm -hmm. was the most autobiographical sort of this style show. Yeah. And I feel like you have a huge following of fans who just absolutely love you, myself included. Um, <laughs> I do. I have the best fans and, you know, I really, I do read this stuff and, and people are like, you're my spirit animal and you <laughs> give me hope that I don't have to grow up and be lame. And it really, it, it, it really makes me happy and, and I don't take it lightly. And, ha you know, having success at 40s, um, you know, you appreciate it because you know what the other side is and you know how mm -hmm. hard you struggled and you know also that it's temporary. And after this, I'm going to have to start again mm -hmm. on something new and all of that. And it, it is really nice to feel appreciated, I will say. Well, that's one thing I feel like being on the fan side that I appreciate <laughs> very much is like you take the time out like during your podcast, right? And then also on your social media to say like, oh, this is what someone wrote to me and like, thank you so much. It means so much to me. And so you're very gracious. And I was telling basically everyone I knew that I was doing this interview. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure she's going to be a wonderful human being. I was like, all signs point to yes. I was like, you never know though, I guess. Um, so yeah, oh, like it's so, sweet. so amazing to hear. You're like, I have a phone line that you can call <laughs> and you expect drunk <laughs> phone calls, which one day that will happen. I can't um, wait. I yes. can't wait. And be like, I'm Juliana. Do you remember me? Uh. 
Totally. And I will, on my podcast, be like, okay, I did this interview for Cornell. This You're woman like, named Juliana. Now stalker. Like, oh and my God. she calls me drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can go to my website, asavagepodcast.com, and there's a number there that you can call and leave us a message, or you can email. Um, and I do talk about it on my podcast, or I'll pick reviews from Apple Podcasts that tickle me. Because um, I know how much effort that stuff makes. You know, mm-hmm. I know how it takes in people's lives to, you know, to reach out. And, and I just, you know, I, I think it's a positive reaching out. There's so much like negative posting and negative Mm -hmm. comments that I'm like, it, I really appreciate the good ones, the good vibes (laughs) and just sort of the, you know, yeah, Mm -hmm. the good ones. Yeah. Well, I will say, so it wasn't until like pretty recently, very sorry, Andrea, um, last year that I started uh, hearing about you and seeing your show. I was on maternity leave and my best friend was like, you should really check out this show because, you know, I was a little like, it's hard being home (laughs) with a baby for a long time. Yes, Um, it is. And your show like really brought a lot of positivity to my life and like was able to like take me out of not, I love my son so much. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Right. But it's like, it's tough being parent. are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Love your child, but also be like, oh my God. Yeah. Like this this is is a lot. Yeah. Um, and so it was nice to be able, like, when he was napping, I was like, I'm not going to nap with him. I'm going to watch this show, right? Because oh. it would bring me, like, that happiness. And also, and you talk about this in your podcast, right? It's like showing people that you don't have to be lame, you know? Like, you can yeah. be a parent, you can be an adult, and you can be amazing. You can be the same person you were before. You just have to adjust a little bit. And that was, like, so, like, what I needed to hear at that time, right? Because it's like, a transition it's time. so scary. You're like, yeah. oh my God, I have all this responsibility. Am I still allowed to be funny and dirty yeah. and weird and all that stuff? And I'm happy that on the other side of it, I'm able to go like, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. And here's a bunch of my other friends who are also doing it. Yeah. And we're not alone, everybody. Like, <laughs> like we're all you're not a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, let's join together. And, and you know, I also feel like there's a lot of that, like, bad mom stuff out there, like, mm-hmm. and I don't really go get on board with that either, of the, like, oh, it's two o'clock, I gotta have my cocktail, D- you know, mm-hmm. here's the TV, call me, you know, you know, dinner's on the table, or whatever. Um, I'm also like, that's not how I want to live my life. Yeah. Um, I love being a mother, and I love my child, and mm-hmm. I like spending time with her. Um and so I'd like to show, like, it doesn't have to be that extreme either way. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be that, like, bad mom character. And you don't have to be the perfect, you know, reserved, you know, you've lost all of your edge or all of your humor side either. You know, there's a world in between. Yeah. You just be yourself. Wait, how old is your child? He's 16 how, months. <laughs> you had a baby very young. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. it's like this weird thing, right? Because I'm so I'm from Texas. Um, and so all of my friends from home, like had kids a lot younger than me. But everyone possible? I know up here, like, is like, wow, like, you're such a young mom. It's like, okay, let's calm down. You know, like, I don't think um, people should calm down. I think people should get <laughs> less calm about this. No. Yeah. Um, no, it is funny, because in LA, too, and all my friends, like, uh, it's just you're, you're young. Which yeah. I think is great. Like, well, I think, you know, it's a, just a different, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, I think about that. I'm like, wow, what if I had done that, you know, 
10 years before I had, you know? Yeah. It's interesting, like navigating career path, right? Because so I'm 28. Yeah. So I'm 28 now. And so it's like navigating that because I'm starting to get into that, right? And it's like, okay, well, how do we do this? Because I have a small person. So it's like Mm -hmm. I have limits to, you know, what I can do. Um, But I love him. He's cool. I'm going to keep him around. Um, We're getting married on New Year's Eve. So I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Um, You and your son? Me and my son, yes. That's um, weird. He has That's his a tux. weird combo. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Um, I, our, I feel like yeah. I have questions, and I may have to alert some authorities, well, but that's okay. you won't get answers, so. <laughs> well, I, I, you know what? Listen, I, I'm sure your son is very cute, and if you decide not to keep him, you'd get, you. there'd be a lot of takers. People in would be in line, yeah. Yeah, people would be in I'll line. I'll ship him right to you, just FedEx. Well, I'm not saying over. I want it. I mean, I have a girl. <laughs> but I know people, I could get him to the right hands. You know what I'm saying? Yes, definitely. Yeah, get him to the right people. Um, so in your show, you have yeah. um, situations where you're with the other parents, and uh-huh. then you make jokes, and you're like, that's where the line is, you know? Like, uh, yes. do, is, is that pulled from, like, actual life events where you're like joking around with parents and and they're like wow Andrea I can't believe you said that yes oh 100 percent it took a while to and and I'm not terrible about it I mean I'm 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 not a crazy person I know when to you know (laughs) say things and not say things but there were definitely instances especially early on like in preschool where you know I think we were all laughing around we're all on the same page and then suddenly you know I would make (laughs) a joke just one step too far and it would Nobody was ever like, what the fuck? But you could just tell there was just like a change in the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, you have to learn the the lines around yeah. uh, different aspects of your life. Because, you know, it's one thing here where I can joke about you marrying your son yeah. and selling him on the market. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's other places where maybe that doesn't go off as well. Yeah. So are there ever people who come up to you and they're like, I think that was me in your show and I didn't like that, you know? Or is it just like everyone around you like, that's cool? You know what? I, my whole show, I mean, as you said, like it it sort of makes you happy. There's an underlying like positivity on my show. Mm -hmm. And part of it is that I don't ever take anyone down. I'm not mean and I'm not ever shitting on people. Mm -hmm. And um, I take that very seriously. And to be honest, it makes it a lot harder to write. Um, But the only person I ever sort of take down is myself. Um, And even when I, I, because I make fun of my mom all the time or my husband or my Mm -hmm. friend, but it's all done in a loving, like, this is our banter way and you know that I care about you. So there's nobody that I of real stories in my life Mm -hmm. because everything is based on real stories in my life or my writer's lives. Um, We don't take anyone down. So there's not really anyone who's going to take offense at it. Um, You know, I do have people that are like, oh God, (laughs) I can't say this in front of you because you're going to turn it in your show. I'm like, I am not going to just take (laughs) something. I ask permission. Like, I don't just like, I ask permission of my family members. Like, I don't just fuck with people. That's Mm -hmm. not my goal in life. I'm like, I'm not going to put something out there that's going to embarrass somebody. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm so glad you do that. Um, So we are coming to a close soon. And I know on your podcast, you like to play games. Um, Yes, I do. We don't normally do that on this one, but I was like, oh, I would be remiss if we didn't do this. Um, So I wanted to- Couldn't be more excited. What are we doing? If you're okay with it, um, I want to do Mary Murder Make Love To, but I've chosen people who've been featured on your podcast. 
Oh, Jesus And I'm Christ. hoping All that right. I chose okay. well, but you never okay. know. Okay, here we go. Okay, so I have... I'm going to murder all... I'm going to tell you right now, I'm murdering them all. Okay, perfect. I have right. John Hamm, Allison Brie, Dead. and June Diane Raphael. Um, okay, June Brie and Ham. Yes. Um, I will, first of all, I will marry June Diane Raphael. Okay. Um, she's one of my closest friends, and she makes there's something about that woman that makes me laugh so goddamn hard. <laughs> I I don't know what it is. It's her face. It's the way she speaks. We've been on vacation together many times, so I know that I can take her in large doses. Um, I will marry her off the bat. Uh, Alison Brie, a hundred percent make love. Uh, I feel like she is very open with her, um, sexuality. I okay. feel like she'd be up for it. Um, and fuck, I will fucking murder John Hamm so fast. I was He's anticipating so that. I was like, she's definitely going to kill off definitely. John Hamm. <laughs> he read my journal. Oh my gosh. From, that was the I, best. You've got it. Oh, he read my journal from high school the day after I had sex for the first time. And it yes. was the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. And I do love John Hamm, but I will fucking, he's dead, dead, <laughs> dead, dead, dead. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was probably one of my favorite uh, parts of all of your podcasts was when you were well, reading it. Well, I'm glad that my just, suffering like, provided you, you so yes. much pain. Oh my gosh. It was like cringy, but it was also like, this is amazing. It's the most embarrassing thing I've ever done to myself, <laughs> let's be honest. Oh, my I could, gosh. I could have cut it out if I wanted to. I do edit them myself, so. It was golden. You had to leave it in. It was so Of course good. I had to leave it in, but it was mortifying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so this yeah. has been absolutely wonderful. It's exceeded all expectations I had for this. Um, thank you so, so much for being here. Is there anything that you want to leave us with um, that we haven't gotten to? Any tidbits for our Cornelius? Um, no, I, I feel like, uh, I don't know who listens to this the most, if it's alumni or people who are actually at Cornell, but um, just, you know, if you've got that little voice in there that's, you know, talking to you and it's not like telling you to murder people, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, try to try to take a listen to it and, and that will help you guide your way through what you really want to be doing. Thank you so much. You're amazing. I'm very much looking forward to season three of I'm Sorry. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fresh from the Hill. Music for Fresh from the Hill was written, produced, and recorded by Kia Albertson Rogers, class of 2013. You can contact him at koa3 at cornell.edu. For more information about the podcast and Cornell Young Alumni programs, visit our website, alumni.cornell.edu slash youngalumni.